you're listening to Birds, Bees, and Teas, a sexuality education and storytelling podcast hosted by yours truly, Miss Nia Angie Africana Sutton. Hey teasers, welcome back to another episode of your favorite sexuality education and storytelling podcast, Birds, Bees, and Teas. Or today, should I say birdie, bees, and peas, because we have a very, very, very special guest with us today for this wonderful episode. It's a 420 special, and today we're going to be talking all about marijuana and sex and how it influences us and impacts us and um, social and cultural norms and all the good and wonderful things. And we have Birdie, the 420 sexologist, here with us. Today and so I'm so excited for you all to um, get this tease and for us all to learn together from you, Birdie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And hey, teasers, I am so excited to be on this podcast in celebration of 420, favorite day of the year. So thank you so much for having me to talk about my two favorite subjects, sexuality and cannabis. Um, I really appreciate it. I, I recently got my um, master's degree in human sexuality um, while in pandemic lockdown. So I feel like finally I'm, I'm, things are starting to move along back to normal so I can get out there and start talking about what I'm most passionate about. So I really appreciate you inviting me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can't wait to, to hear all the, all the things from you. So let's jump right into it. And I know you started to share a little bit um, of your background. Can you tell us a little bit more about your studies and how you came to um, merging these two topics um, in your expertise? Yeah, um, I always like to say that I found my calling deep in the hollers of West Virginia, because while I was on a missions trip with a church into um, Appalachia, I was working side by side with teens for a week and I was energized by it all and I wanted more when I came back and so I it led me down a path of of um, becoming an educator and a family and consumer science educator which formerly they were known as home ec teachers and so I do teach in a public school setting right now and because of that I also had to acquire my master's degree and while figuring out my career path I met a teacher who was a family consumer science teacher who was getting her master's in this human sexuality uh, course at Widener University. And I was fascinated by it. And when it came time, I followed her path and, and got the same degree. And so um, really interesting field and, and ever evolving. And it's so, um, <clears throat> I think it's primed right now on the, with um, more and more states legalizing the use of uh, recreational cannabis use and medicinal um, uh, medicinal marijuana continuously being opened up in more states. It's just on the verge of a whole new territory of exploration. And it's pretty exciting. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. You touched on so many things that we're gonna circle back to, um, <laughs> like your work with youth and um, like the messaging that youth often get about cannabis and sex. Um, and then also um, like how you found your calling 
doing mission work with the church and, and you know, um, <laughs> when you say like your expertise are marijuana and sex, I want to know like how does that fit in with, you know, um, like your spirituality and religious practices and beliefs um, and like how that is accepted um, because I have stories about that as well. <laughs> Yeah, so um, definitely. Want well, to interesting though. One when, when I was in my studies, I had to do a practicum, part of your master's degree, and I went to my the um, pastor of my church, and I said, "Hey, you know who's doing the sex talk to youth group?" And she's like, "You can now. When are you getting certified? I need you. In the, I need you to come address address the youth because." clearly they get so many sexual messages on so many different levels mm -hmm. and the the amount of factual information they get is so scattered by what they see in porn and and the messages they get just from advertising and social media platforms that it's hard for them to really get the hard true facts of what's going on so she's always my pastor is always asking me to come in and address the youth there that's awesome and it's just um, so great to know that there are religious leaders, um, you know, out here that are accepting and welcoming of having conversations about sex and um, also like having those conversations with young people um, by way of using, you know, by way of participating in church activities. So I just think that that's awesome. I have a great pastor also um, who, you know, it's just been very supportive of me in um, this podcast and all of like my crazy posts and all of those things. So <laughs> I, I definitely um, understand the, like how affirming that is. All right. Okay. So um, when we were getting to know each other um, and I hope that we continue our relationship of getting to know each other also, um, you share with me that you identify as demisexual. So can you share with the teasers what that means for <clears throat> you and how your dem demisexuality has shaped your experiences with and as a sex educator. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's interesting in the field of sexuality because things are always being redefined and what might be feel right for myself might not feel right for someone else and how they identify. And so, um, <clears throat> and, and it's all normal and it's all good. And so, you know, I was, I always feel the need to connect with someone on an emotional level to have that bond before um, <clears throat> being, you know, it's just for me, that's really important at, at, at a human level. And so when we were talking about coming together on this, I was like, oh, let's ask some personal questions. Like, let's not just make this about your knowledge and my knowledge coming together, but let's just really, you know, get to know each other. Cause when you have that chemistry, a lot of synergy can just happen. And, and so that's what I was looking for as far as just connecting. But I've also found that um, it's really, it's something that I've shifted in my pedagogy in as a public school teacher is that I want to connect more with the students and to get and to get at their level and understand what they're thinking and, and where their headspace is at. And it's really made a difference in the learning that goes on in the classroom in the community that is um, uh, organically grown through just being able to say, hey, let's just get to know each other right now. Let's just stop the lesson. What's going on? Let's just have a, 
I do a question of the day where I, I shoot, I send out a question and the person has to answer and call on the next student. So they all have to respond and it just creates that whole community. And, and it's really important for them to connect right now because in the last two years, we've been so dis disconnected and, and everybody in their own little spaces and not having that opportunity to create community. And so I've really chosen that aspect of um, highlighting my students um, <clears throat> and in any capacity. I mean, I'm talking about my classroom where I, where I uh, do most of my work, but also just in any time coming in, coming in contact with people, just trying to connect with them on that personal level that just creates so much more energy in the room. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I just appreciate that so much because that is something that um, like a major theme in my life right now, like a sense of community, um, not just like having friends or like having a close connection with family members or, you know, showing up for events, but um, just really that sense of belonging and that sense of togetherness um, with my loved ones. So I can definitely uh, appreciate that and resonate with that. And that's also something that I'm like, um, you know, that I highlight and prioritize um, for like my professional endeavors as well. I don't really want to like work somewhere um, where people can't like acknowledge me as a human first um, and acknowledge my humanity and the um, ups and downs that come with that. You said emotional and I'm a triple water sign. So I, <laughs> I'm all in, into the field and, <laughs> and for sure. I'm so grateful for that. And interesting enough that the demisexual label can sometimes fall underneath the category of being asexual and ace. And so that's, I think that's a whole different, not, I shouldn't say different, but that's, that's not necessarily how I identify. I just need to have an emotional bond and, you know, in any sort of romantic relationship or sexual relationship. But I also like to carry that out even into professional relationships. Like if I can't connect with you, just like you were saying, if we can't make it personal, make it real. And as quickly as you can kind of get to that comfort level is important, but sometimes it just can't be fudged. You just have to accept it's not going to happen and people don't want to connect and open up. And I say run away from those people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much um, for, for dropping that knowledge on us um, and just sharing um, kind of like your, your basis of practice um, in sexology and all of those things. So if it's all right with you, we're gonna jump into the good teas um, and get into the topic for today um, while everybody is rolling their J's and, <laughs> and all that good stuff, listening to us talk um, about marijuana and sex. And so, I've been already in the five minutes we've been recording um, using marijuana and cannabis interchangeably, but I don't know if that's actually correct. And so could you tell us like what the difference is, um, like if there's an actual difference or if there's just like this cultural difference, which you talked, which you touched on earlier, um, that now because marijuana is becoming um, decriminalized and legalized um, in our society, um, you know, are we shifted more to saying cannabis when talking about it in these contexts or, yeah, just give us that background. 
Well, interesting enough, all marijuana is cannabis, which is kind of the, the genus or the species of, of labeling in the plant family, but not all cannabis is marijuana. So it's a little bit, there was like a couple of different ways to be, to be exploring it, but um, <clears throat> it was originally way back in historically, uh, the no, not the 1930s. Um, when was that? They originally, way back in colonial days, they actually required people to um, use hemp and grow hemp plants and have hemp seeds because it was really industrial and they needed the pioneers and the colonials to be um, creating crops that were gonna help the community. And then um, after that, after um, it was like in the 1600s, I think there was a rule that every planter has to have a seed of flax or hemp. And so they really encouraged um, people to, to, to invest in that stock. And then not until the 1930s, when there was a large immig uh, immigration of Mexicans coming across the border and using cannabis, smoking it and using the benefits of it, uh, that it became marijuana and that it was um, an attorney general, uh, Aislinger, his name was Harry Anslinger, who actually was uh, credited with the whole marijuana propaganda <clears throat> and reefer madness and getting that whole message out that the use of cannabis is bad and it'll drive women crazy and they'll be throwing their clothes off in the streets and wanting to get with um, people of dark skin. Um, so it was a whole um, campaign to marginalize and stigmatize the use of cannabis, where at one point the, the product was used to enhance our economy and then it became a way to control sexuality and control uh, people and control the use of different stimulants. And meanwhile, cocaine was, was available. So it was an interesting time where they wanted to criminalize and stigmatize the use of something that was all natural. And yet psychiatrists like Sigmund Freud were using cocaine to experiment with, with their patients. And it's like, where was the, the moral or the criminality in the use of those types of drugs? Mm -hmm. Wow. That is um, <laughs> mind blowing. Like, yeah. Um, when we just, when we look back at the history of like all of our social norms, um, it always usually comes back to race or misogyny or some combination of the two. Um, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, you know, I've, I've been using uh, marijuana products since I was 16. And I remember wondering, like, why is it so bad? Like, if it feels so good to use it. And I feel you know, calm and, and, and level-headed. And I don't think of it as being something that is harmful to me. And so I started doing research back then and I still couldn't make the connection to why am I can't, why can't I find more information about why it's bad and why, why is it, why is it illegal when alcohol kills people? You know, this is way before mad ever happened and mothers against drunk driving, but alcohol was killing more people on the streets and cigarettes and cancer was killing more people. And yet, here we have cannabis illegal. And so it never really made sense to me. And when I started to look into it, I was like, ah, oh, 
guess what? Systemic racism, <laughs> there it is, yep. right there. Yep. And mm -hmm. nobody wants to even mention that. Yeah, wow, so, so interesting. Um, you know, when we talk also about the history of it becoming more accepted in our society, we also, you know, it also blends in with sexuality too, because one of the strong proponents for legalizing it came out of the LGBTQ plus I community when um, at, in the 80s during the AIDS crisis, because someone I wish I could remember the guy's name who had a partner who was dying of AIDS and was using um, cannabis um, recreationally and realized that it had a lot of strong effects and benefits for somebody suffering through AIDS and ra the ravage that it did to the body. And so they, that person really started to advocate for legalizing it for medicinal. And that's really how it first became legal in the um, country was to help out the um, AIDS community. Wow. I, I keep saying wow because I'm really learning <laughs> so, so much. And I feel like I have not even um, thought and, you know, to explore beyond, like, explore the connection between the two um, beyond, like, how sex impacts, I mean, how marijuana impacts, like, the act of sex. Um, but there's, you know, there's so much that. Um, is influenced in like our cultural and, and social norms and um, just learning so much about how you said, like how systemic racism is um, tied into these things. And then also just the many ways that um, the queer community has like benefited us all, um, mm -hmm. you know, through their, through their own advocacy. So uh, thank you so much for that. That's amazing, amazing information. Okay, so kind of um, on the same note, I wanted to ask, um, what would you describe as the biggest misconceptions about cannabis and marijuana in our societal culture? Um, you know, I think there, there's a couple of main things. First of all, um, as it has slowly become more acceptable, it still likes um, the use of cannabis, still likes to be um, thought of as the gateway drug, right? So like, you know, you start, you start with marijuana and next thing you know, you're a heroin addict or however, you know, progression that is. And that really has never been proven. Um, <clears throat> what is actually the bigger gateway drug is alcohol, but no one ever wants to talk about that. And the fact that, um, you know, it's not um, very well, you know, there's some more alcoholics, uh, alcohol addictions in this country than pretty much, you know, the top, the top, one of the top ones, mm -hmm. probably soon to be overcome by the opioid crisis, but it's also so many people are in involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and not drinking and struggle with that whole addiction. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's the first one is that it's not a gateway drug as has been presumed. And also, I think this is starting to shift a lot too, but uh, users of cannabis are often looked at upon as just being stoners, you know, they're, that they're not really going anywhere or they're not really motivated. But the opposite is true is that when you are using cannabis, you, it can spark creativity and it can elevate your mood and it can help with um, 
<clears throat> with uh, pain management and anxiety management and has so many benefits to it. Um, and so thinking of it as just stoners, it's actually can be a really creative outlet. But the best part and the biggest thing that's happening right now is that 37 states have legally um, uh, use, prescribe cannabis as a, a medicine and also 18 states are now recreationally legal. So it's very slowly becoming more widespread acceptance of it and also a huge profit area. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the industry and, and how many people are, are really doing innovative things within the industry and creating different products and different types of um, <clears throat> medicines and different types of solves and, and using the product in so many different ways in order to help benefit optimal health. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so some really interesting things that are like jumping out at me about what you just shared, like those um, those precon uh, those preconceptions about like someone being a stoner um, or like a low life or not you know having their stuff together and all of that, um, and then like on the flip side of that is um, like the ways in which people are now like profiting off of this and becoming like multimillionaires off of the cannabis industry. Um, but some communities are still like plagued with those negative stereotypes while other communities are being allowed to like flourish um, in the cannabis industry. And so that's just something that's really sticking out for me um, because we know that like black communities and other communities of color, you know, there's still really high incarceration rates related to um, possession or use of marijuana. Um, and then we see, you know, like even <clears throat> like gymnasts um, or people, you know, um, like Olympic sports folks, like, you know, um, coming up with CBD drinks or CBD oils that they use, um, you know, so it's like that. You know, that, the fact that, yeah. that anyone is even sitting in prison right now for any sort of possession or distribution of of um, cannabis is is just horrific. Mm -hmm. And I know there's, a, I know the last prisoner project is really keen on that whole issue of equity. I think they should be, I think the people should be let out and immediately granted cannabis licenses for whatever state that they happen to be living in. It's like they've figured out how to be entrepreneurs in the industry and were punished. And now they should be the first ones in line to profit from the legalization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what was the name of that project you said, The Last Prisoner? Um, the, yeah, The Last Prisoner Project. Okay. Awesome. So we definitely need to check that out and um, do some more learning there for sure. All righty. Um, so, yes, thank you for sharing that and about the, the gateway drug uh, misconceptions. <laughs> all of those things um, too. And so that kind of gets into another question that I had about um, like how, what you just shared with us about um, some of those initial benefits of cannabis and marijuana use. Um, how would you say that like differs from what 
young people get in um, education and especially like when there are conversations about drugs and sex um, and, and then considering you working in the public school system as well, like how do you combat that or like re-educate? Yeah, it's really hard because the curriculum that's allowed within the district is so minim minimalizing of addressing the issues that are really important to the students. So for instance, my the school that I, um, I work in the fifth biggest city of um, Connecticut and the city, it's a pretty relatively new school. It's about seven years old. We've graduated four classes and um, the students have to apply to get in. So it's a pretty interesting um, dynamic in the building. But just this past year, kids have started to vape in the bathrooms and they were talking about taking the doors off the bathrooms and how locking them so students couldn't get in there unless they had to use them during class time. And my thought was, why aren't we addressing the, the addiction issue? You know, they're dancing around all these issues, all these ways to combat the fact that kids are vaping in the bathroom, but why are we giving them resources to combat, combat um, that addiction? And so, you know, there's not a lot of messages about what's safe out there for them, how to make best decisions for them. I have students who tell me they could never come to school without using cannabis before coming in. And I'm like, I can't know that. <laughs> la, 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 yeah. la, la. <laughs> but I get it. It's medicine and it's approved even for uh, conditions in this, my state where um, for children. And so, you know, is it better to self-medicate on cannabis or to take an antidepressant every day of your life, whether you need it or not? Then your body gets addicted to that um, whole medication storm as well. And so, you know, if you're not feeling well and you, and you want a little elevation, you could use cannabis. If you're feeling, you know, um, too happy, you can use cannabis to slow things down because the cannabis actually um, affects the endocannabinoid system, which is the way all chemical communications happen within the body. And it keeps everything kind of at a, uh, at a balance at homeostasis within the body. And so it's really interesting that the endocannabinoid system is affected by the cannabinoids in cannabis, but also there's a lot of other natural ways that you can get, um, uh, through herbs and different spices, you can also get um, some of the same um, benefits of um, the end, to reflect on the endo endocannabinoid system. So there was, um, I just was watching the news and they had some um, local uh, doctor who had just written a cookbook about how to actually use, uh, trigger and, and get those uh, that system firing without the use of cannabis, without the use of cannabis, that you can do it all naturally and holistically and in other ways. Although the best way is through cannabis use. <clears throat> Am I making sense? Sometimes I feel like I, I ramble on. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm like my mind is like <laughs> my wheels are turning, trying to process um, all of this wonderful information um, in just. Um, the overall effects that we just never really learn about. Like, you know, we know like the general statement is like, or, you know, a general understanding is that like smoking weed makes you feel good. It makes you feel relaxed um, and all of those things. But just thinking about um, 
those bodily functions um, is crazy. <laughs> it's to think that there are so many documented benefits and yet, um, you know, we still in 2022 have legislators who are like fighting tooth and nail um, to uphold this agenda um, that is like based in racism and um, sexual oppression. Yeah, and, and, and just if they could think of the tax base, I think they would revisit the whole idea, but they're just so stuck on the fact that it's not right and it's not good, but yet we have tobacco products Mm-hmm. proven to cause cancer that no one wants to bat an eyelash at. Yeah. It's infuriating sometimes. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like <laughs> ultimate gaslighting. Like, uh, I know this, is, like, we know this is bad and you allow commercials on TV for this and we know it's bad for us, but this is totally acceptable. And yet you're telling me that um, this other thing is bad just because you say so, or mm-hmm. just because, you know, like, God or religion says that we shouldn't. So, yeah, and you know the the law is just so twisted too that because um, they had placed marijuana on a Schedule One drug list that mm-hmm. you can't even like it's so hard to even say, hey, I want to research that drug and find out if the benefits. And they're like, you can't because it's a Schedule One drug. Well, right. okay, but it is for the wrong reasons. But we can't even research if it's beneficial or not, because it's on that list. And it's like, wait, take it off the list so we can figure out if it should be on the list, but you can't take it off the list because it's on the list because somebody decided it should be on the list Mm -hmm. so that they could then punish Mexicans coming across the border back to build the wall. No, just kidding. Don't get me started. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, the the history of how it all connects and uh, like the, the longevity um, that these folks have been able to like keep this up is just bizarre. It's wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 <clears throat> okay. All right. So we did start to talk a bit about bodily functions, and um, we're all about the sex stuff here at Birds, Bees, and Peas. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, I know that you um, specifically studied um, in your master's studies um, uh, like the impact of cannabis use on the sexual response cycle. So can you first start with telling us, um, tell us about the sexual response cycle and what it is and how it works? Yeah, great. Thank you so much for that. Um, The sexual response cycle has actually been discovered back by Masters and Johnson back in the 60s. And it just talks about how Um, the body reacts, both um, male and females' bodies react to being excited sexually. So there's always first the excitement stage, then there is a plateau followed by orgasm and then resolution. And there's a lot of different factors that can affect how quickly you're excited or how quickly you move to plateau and sustaining that. And then the release of orgasm and then certainly resolution at a younger age can be in a matter of minutes. And as you age, oftentimes that resolution phase can get longer. Um, But with such awesome drugs like Viagra, you can uh, have that resolution stage sometimes even shorten as you age. Although there has yet to be a uh, female Viagra developed. And interesting, um, I think, the use of cannabis can certainly help with 
that whole study because they found that when men have a physiological response to sexual attraction or sexual stimulation, that they get an erection and arousal and that, um, you know, that can be controlled because it's a physiological response to a stimuli. And they've realized that that's just a way of, to get the blood flowing quicker and, and, and deeper into the um, penis. But they've never found a way, they've never found the same stimulus in women because they've realized that the biggest uh, sex organ being the brain, it's hard to stimulate that, that same response and have it repeated the same way in female bodies. And so some women may get very turned on just by looking at something and some women may have to feel something and some women may have the demisexual in them may have need that emotional response, but there is no clear clean cut way as in the men. And so it's really hard to develop a drug that's going to respond to the body when everybody's response is different. Yeah. However, using cannabis products and the way that, that um, it can um, <clears throat> increase pleasure and uh, lessen anxiety and can also align with the excitement plateau orgasm stages when you're using the product, um, when using cannabis, that it can actually heighten the whole uh, sexual response, um, a person's sexual response, not heighten the sexual response cycle because that's just going through those four different stages, but can increase and heighten the way your body reacts to it. Okay. Um, yeah, so what in what other ways um, would you say that cannabis use like impacts um, the act of sex um, and also just like general intimacy that people may experience with partners? So, you know, when we're talking again about the endocannabinoid system, it, it can really um, be used to help elevate mood. It can be used to increase your appetite and different sensations in the body. And so, you know, through use of cannabis and or other all natural things, it can enhance the endocannabinoid system. Um, <clears throat> women really can have a, a lot of different uh, heightened responses. And so, so can men certainly with the use of marijuana, but um, the men will have, typically will have, a more negative effect on the body than women because it can, uh, cannabis can lower testosterone levels and it can um, affect uh, the production of sperm um, where women, um, when the, there's that luteinizing hormone that allows for the surge in um, ovulation can be increased by the use of marijuana. So for once, and usually not uh, what happens um, marijuana is benefit more beneficial for the female population than the male population, which oh. is hooray. Right. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Um, so now I want to, um, just open up and ask you to give the teasers some advice for, um, like adults who, may have never tried cannabis, um, like at all in general, like what is uh, like a, a good baby step for those folks or, um, you know, just a, a next step or a first step that folks can take. And then also um, like some advice that you would give to people who want to um, like explore cannabis use for 
um, like enhancing their sex lives in general? Yeah, you know, I think it's really important that um, people understand the different types of strains. Um, you know, there's THC and CBD and sativa and indica and combinations and hybrids and, and depending on, on how you are feeling can often depend can, um, or what you be in or, or what your mood is like can also vary the reactions of all those different things. So, you know, just talking about CBD and THC, THC is a tetrahydrochloride, I'm going to say the word wrong, um, tetrahydrochloride, um, which is, which kind of gives you the whole head buzz, like, you know, maybe feeling drunk, but still a little bit in control. Your head kind of feels a little bit groggy, but you could also use uh, cannabis products that are just CBD, which can give you the benefits, the same benefits of, of affecting the endocannabinoid system without the head high. And then you have, if you want THC products, there's sativa and indica. And the, 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 the slang is if you want a whole body high, you want to be like in the couch, you want to be able to have uh, the, all the sensations throughout your body, you go with the indica. You want to be in the couch, you can't move, your body's kind of sense, sense having sensations all over the place versus a sativa, which is more your head, your, your body space. You have full control of everything, all parts of your body. Um, maybe a little bit less sensations everywhere uh, being fired, but definitely your head's um, feeling the ramifications. Maybe you're you're, you're giggly and when you're normally not, or you just are contemplative of different creative ideas. And so there's, there's different strains as far as, as trying that go. But what I would definitely recommend if you're trying it for the first time is to actually get a notebook and keep track of what you're trying, how much you weigh, um, if there was a negative reaction or positive reaction, if it was an indica or a sativa, or how many grams you use, just so that if you're ever out, and uh, I imagine at some point there'll be there'll be recreational cannabis bars around, just like there are coffee bars where people can pop in and try different products. But you know, it's always safer to experiment in the comfort of your home, own home when you know how things are, how you're going to react. And always, 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 if you're ever at a party or out somewhere and someone offers you an edible, ask what the what the milligrams are, because never start higher than five if you don't know how your body is going to react and then wait, 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 half an hour, 45 minutes to see how your body reacts before saying it didn't work. Let me try some more. That's usually how people have negative reactions. Although no one has ever died of a, a marijuana overdose. Yes. Very, very good tip because <laughs> um, <laughs> I need to like, clip that um, edible piece and just like circulate that around because I still hear stories of like people trying edibles for the first time in their late 20s and 30s and like having full-on panic attacks and um, all of the things because they thought it wasn't working or they you know took more than they should have. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and you know that's that's an experiment even when you are start drinking that you forget like oh there's a limit and and people drink and then they hit their limit and it hits them 20 minutes later and they're puking in the bathroom before they even realize that they were drunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's, a, it's all a, le a learning lesson, but you just want to be careful while you're experimenting to make sure you're tracking how much you're taking and how it's affecting you. 
because you could have a really great high one night and, and want to know how you got there. And then maybe the next night doesn't work as well. And you realize that you had a huge carb dinner the, the two hours before and that it absorbed more of the high while you were eating or, or smoking the same amount um, affected you differently than, than eating it. And so you just want to be able to be aware of all the different nuances and how your body reacts. Yeah, so, so definitely um, folks should probably, like if they're new to marijuana um, or new to using cannabis, they should probably try that um, like first separately um, before trying to engage in sexual acts, like using it as an enhancement. Would yeah, you- absolutely. Absolutely. Because you could have, you know, sometimes people get really paranoid on it too. And you want to know that before you're trying to be expressive in a sexual way with someone and then be like, oh, I can't do this for, you know, my, my, my mind and body aren't aligning. So you always want to experiment solo before you venture out. Yes, I think that's like good sex advice in general. <laughs> <laughs> yes, explore solo before you venture out. Yes. There we go. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Okay. Um, and then I wanted to um, just ask a, a, on the same note about trying um, cannabis out. Um, what advice would you give for folks um, who are like, you know, well, as a society, we're like all navigating those negative norms um, that we've learned, they've been ingrained um, in us since birth. Um, and, you know, navigating um, our religious and spiritual beliefs and, or, you know, just general misinformation about marijuana. Um, what advice could you give to um, folks navigating those situations uh, while still wanting to explore the use of cannabis? So in a, in a religious setting, you mean? Um, yes, in a religious setting. Um, and then just also um, in a society where um, it can be frowned upon, um, regardless of religious affiliation. Yeah, you know, my I think I, we, I was mentioning this to you that when my partner's new um, boss came in, about 20 years ago, there was like talk, you know, don't ever mention that you use marijuana in front of them. And I was thinking like, why is it so stifling? And like, you can never mention it when, when clearly, you know, the new boss is moving in from a different part of the country, but clearly I knew of several people in the office who I've used, I had used cannabis with. And I'm like, that's just so weird that you're not going, like you're going to hide that part because mm-hmm. it's like not necessarily criminal or bad or whatever people's images of it want to be it's just you know a way to increase your and elevate your mood and and to be able to um get your body in homostasis and and balance and so it it was always it's always been a um an issue with how I coped with with the use of it and feeling stigmatized and it's bad and you can't talk about it when it has so many positive benefits and it's always helped me, you know, I, a lot of my students will tell me how, how they have anxiety and depression. And I'm like, I never felt that as a kid. And I'm like, well, I also have always used marijuana in order to, and not, not necessarily to address those issues, but it was just, I had used it so often and was a a regular um, advocate of it that I never had those issues. And I don't know if it was a whole different time and place where it wasn't going on as much where kids are more informed today or they're, 
the anxiety is caused by the cell phone use. Like who knows which came first, the chicken or the egg. But at the same time, I'm like, hmm, you should try using cannabis more often. Everybody, I think everybody should, especially after the last two years that we've had throughout this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And so um, I think that, you know, um, the times are changing. It's getting better. <laughs> That's a good news. It's getting better. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, by having conversations like this um, and, you know, making these conversations more normal, um, that we're like doing our small part to um, influence those societal and cultural norms. So just very, very grateful for all of this knowledge and for you making it plain for us. Um, and easy for us to understand and like giving us actual steps for how to like explore and, and learn more. All right, well, it's been a pleasure to be here and, and honor uh, the, the, the memorable day of 420 out, out and proud um, advocate for the use of it. It's like a whole new world <laughs> to be able to say like everybody should be using it and, and the benefits why and how how it can really help improve so many different um, aspects of our lives and, 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 uh, and just help everyone. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Okay, Birdie, can you let the teasers know how they can connect with you or continue to learn from you um, or where we can go to learn more about um, the relationship between cannabis and sex? Yeah, I, you can reach out to me on Instagram at 420 sexologist. Absolutely. I'm still, still a work in progress as a, as a gen Xer. I'm not big on my technology, but I am trying to build out that platform so you can follow me there. And, um, you know, uh, 420 sexologist at gmail.com. If you have further questions, certainly reach out to me. It's an easy one to remember as well. And I just really want to thank you for allowing me this, this platform to uh, spread the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, that is all that we have for you today, Teaser. So um, definitely connect with the 420 sexologist and let me know what questions I have um, and we can continue this conversation. And, you know, there's this feel so much for us to learn. Y'all see, I'm like, <laughs> my mind is blown <laughs> over here. So yes. Bring me back, bring me back. I'd love to come back on. <laughs> hey teasers, thank you so much for tuning into that episode of your favorite sexuality education and storytelling podcast, Birds, Bees, and Teas. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Anchor, make sure that you follow, like, and subscribe to the podcast so that you can become an official teaser. You know what else makes you an official teaser? Following us on all of our social media platforms at Birds, Bees, Tees, at Birds, Bees, Tees on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. As always, we appreciate you sharing this podcast with your friends, your families, and continuing the conversations that we start here. And if you ever feel inclined to donate to the podcast, hit us up on Cash App at dollar sign birds, bees, tees. Thank you, teasers. <laughs>